This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran All right, what's going on, everyone? It's episode 148 of the Future Award-winning Moranalytics podcast presented by Paul Cellular. Today is Friday, August 30th. Thank you, as always, for listening, for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed already, please go ahead and do so right now. We're pretty much on every major podcasting platform out there today at this point. Coming up later in this episode, I got Sean Chandler from the popular Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. He's dropping a movie review of Angel Has Fallen, the trilogy flick starring Gerard Butler. Right now, though, plenty of Buffalo Bills business to handle. I'm joined today by recurring guest Ryan Talbot, Buffalo Bills writer for NewYorkUp.com. Recurring guest, man. What's going on, Ryan? How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I got to have you on because you know what? I was going through the numbers before I gave you a buzz tonight, and uh, every time I've had you on, the numbers have been good. Like, Ryan equals ratings, dude. I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) So we're taping this very late in the Thursday night, just moments after the Buffalo Bills game, which we'll get to that in obviously meaningless, but very fun. That was a very fun game. We'll get to that in a second, dude. Again, late Thursday night. I'm here in Florida right now. I got a hurricane barreling down slowly, but surely on us. It's like, this is, dude, I just moved down here and this is going to be, and I live on the Tampa Bay side, okay? Not the Miami side where every time there's a hurricane, you got to worry about it. I live on the Gulf Coast where you're not supposed to have to worry about this shit. And this is like the second time in literally a little more than two years that I got to worry about the the eye of the hurricane coming right down on us on the Gulf Coast. It's kind of crazy. It really is. You know, I'll take the snow and the ice and all that over. Uh, the hurricanes and, and a lot of all these other things that uh, other people have to experience in the United States. So, you know, it, it makes me realize that maybe the snow's not so bad here for these next few months when, when uh, December, January, February hit. Oh, well, it's miserable, <laughs> but it's not like <laughs> life altering dangers. I'll give you that, you know, quick story. This is funny before we get started. So again, we're taping this late Thursday night and Thursday during the day, I went to BJ's warehouse to get some groceries 
Mind you, not hurricane prevention groceries, not water and bread and all that stuff. I was just going to get some normal groceries and it was mobbed, absolutely mobbed. Bread falling off the shelves. They were bringing water out by the crates. Uh, Like every 75-year-old person, I think, in the state of Florida was at BJ's Warehouse today stocking up on stuff because you know how young people are. They're waited out. They're not worried about it till the last second when they need to be. You know, the older people, they're prepared. They want to be prepared well ahead of time. It was just crazy. I'm, you know, I'm in my late 40s, dude, and I think I might have been the youngest person in BJ's warehouse today. And there had to be at least two, 300 people in there. It was insane. It, it sounds pretty insane. I, I'm pretty lucky that I've never had to experience anything like that. Uh, like I said, you know, we've been hit with some snowstorms, things like that, but never had the mad rushes at the store where you have to stock up on those supplies and kind of bunker down or hunker down for, uh, a few days so you know I'm, I'm hoping everything's okay there though yeah well we'll find out because it changes every couple hours you know this we're taping this late thursday it'll be out overnight in the friday morning by the time people hear this it might be worse it might be better let's talk some bills now all right before the game itself which obviously was very exciting looked like the bills are going to lose the dream of 23 and 0 is still very much alive they come back they win 27 23 first time ever in franchise history that they're perfect for the preseason. I wanted to talk about a couple of things though that don't necessarily have anything to do with the game that happened before the game. First and foremost, the whole Zay Jones thing with his mom on Twitter, was it that weird? The Texas kind of referred to like he was already getting cut. I don't know if that's going to happen, but you know what tweets I'm talking about, correct? About his mom saying one man's trash is another treasure, showing the picture of Watkins and Goodwin together with the bills. And then on separate teams going on to have success. Did you find that a little odd that his mother would do that? No, I, I don't know what to make of that. I, I understand that it has to be pretty difficult to be the parent of a professional athlete, especially if you're involved in social media as much as uh, both of Zay Jones's parents are. Um, but it, probably not the best reaction because I know they both kind of uh, – have been facing some backlash as of late. The father kind of came out with an apology uh, yesterday as well about how he treated things. He came up with, he said something about in the third preseason game, how fans are bashing Cole Beasley for fumbling uh, after he caught a pass from Josh Allen. I truly did not see any reactions of the sort during that, nor did most people that uh, question that tweet. And then all of a sudden you had his wife come out with that, uh, you know, that message, however she wants to put it, but she said, she said it was meant to be something about how her kids had played with both of them. She has multiple kids that, you know, whether college pros, whatever they played with those two players kind of bizarre though. And and I'm sure that they probably read a lot of people saying, you know, cut Zay Jones, which I actually do see quite a bit on my feed from Bill's fans, sure. um, which I don't think that's very fair either, mind you, because, you know, one, preseason is not really uh, a, a good place to judge these players because they're only going out there for a few series of game or like in tonight's case, the stars aren't even out there at all. Uh, I, I get that there were some pretty good wide receivers drafted after him in that draft class, but you can't look back on it like that. He was their leading receiver last year. So yeah, I just think it's one of those situations where um, we can't really say that we know what they're going through because, you know, I don't have a, a kid that's in the NFL, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, probably could have been handled better. Well, let's say this. All right. So this will be out this podcast in the wee hours of the morning on Friday. Obviously, the deadline is Saturday. 
4 p.m. We're going to talk about plenty of that shortly. But the Bills got to get down to 53 by then. We'll start to know by the time potentially people are waking up and listening to this podcast, some cuts may already be trickling down. Do you think there's any chance that maybe he knows and then therefore by extension his mother would know that maybe Zay Jones is not going to be on this 53-man roster? Do you think there's any realistic chance of that happening right now? I don't think there's a realistic chance of them knowing that at this point. I, I one, I don't think you know Jones would have even been out there tonight if that was the case. I think that something would have already been announced, mind you. Uh, in terms of his chances, you know, I, I guess you can never say never. I, I remember a few years ago, and it was obviously a trade. It wasn't that he was caught. Someone had speculated that Sammy Watkins could get moved, and that was one of those things where I said, "No, there's, there's no. I don't see a scenario where they would do that." This is a team that um, wants to keep young talent, and then that happens. So since then, I've always learned to say, you know, never say never. I, I would be surprised, though. I, I know they have more talent at wide receiver than they've had under any other um, the last two years under McDermott, obviously. But at the same time, again, you don't just get rid of receivers that um, seven touchdowns came on last year, like I said, led the team in receiving he may not be a number one option in the NFL, but he can still be a solid two, more realistically better suited as a three type of guy where he can still put up stats where you need a guy to uh, catch the ball or be your second or third read. Now, one guy who definitely was on the roster bubble was Wyatt Teller, but he got traded on Thursday to Cleveland for 2025th and 6th. The Bills also threw in a 7th, I think it's in 2021 along with Teller. First of all, your thoughts on that trade. From what I've read, by the way, it seems like when it comes to the Bills, he clearly was not going to start, and he probably was on the team as a reserve lineman. But for being to be able to pick up two draft picks for a guy who was reserved, possibly on the roster bubble, and I've also read that there's a chance that he might start in Cleveland. What are your thoughts on this deal from a Buffalo Bills perspective mainly, obviously? Yeah, you know, from the Bills' perspective, it, it makes sense. Like you said, he was not starting this year. Uh, the Quentin Spain was brought in to be the starting left guard. I know he is a little nicked up right now uh, with an injury, but I'm sure, you know, I think they anticipate him being ready for week one. But even when Spain exited last week with the injury, it was Ike Bakker who was brought in, not Wyatt Teller. Uh, Teller later played some right guard and some right tackle in that third preseason game. So maybe they were testing to see, you know, his, his versatility, so to speak, see how he looked at other spots. Um, just because they brought in so many guys this offseason, you almost need to be a, a versatile player to have a spot on this roster because you have Deion Dawkins, who by all accounts has risen to the challenge this offseason. The coaching staff seems really pleased with him. I already mentioned Spain, Mitch Morris, you know, they made him the highest paid center in the NFL. He's finally uh, cleared the concussion protocol too, which is great news. Uh, then you have obviously your, your right guard, right tackle, which, that's still kind of up in the air. I would like to think that for week one, they're going to put Cody Ford at right guard and, and Ty Seki at right tackle, but they really haven't shown their cards yet. You still have John Feliciano, Spencer Long as uh, some of your top reserves. Uh, they might still be looking for that swing tackle. I think that Ryan Bates may have surpassed Wyatt Teller on the depth chart, and that might have been another reason they were willing to trade him. You know, Bates came in within one week, one week of being with the Bills. He was the second team center. Last week, he was uh, at, I want to say it was left tackle, if I remember correctly. And he was playing tackle again tonight at times. So 
he, he can also play both guard spots. So he was a guy that was traded for, for a defensive end that wasn't going to make the roster. And all of a sudden he's played so well in this limited time and he's shown so much versatility. I think that bumped Wyatt Teller for, further down the depth chart. So when you get a call, because in this league, teams are desperate for offensive line help. And you get a call saying you can get Teller's value back, pretty much what you got him for last year in the draft, and then an additional sixth round pick. And then all you have to do is send them a seventh in 2021. It's kind of a no-brainer for Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, especially when you look at what this team has done with some of those later round picks. Bean wasn't here for um, McDermott's first draft. He came in shortly thereafter, but McDermott was able to find Matt Milano in that draft on day three. Then last year, fourth round, Taron Johnson, fifth round, Saran Neal. Uh, those two guys come to mind. Obviously, Teller was in that fifth round as well. And even Rary McLeod, who I think is on the outside looking in, but he made the roster last year. And then this year, that I think they've done a great job in the draft based on what we've seen so far. Daryl Johnson in the seventh round has really stood out. Tommy Sweeney, Jaquan Johnson, uh, and, and the list goes on. So this isn't a team that... Uh, just throws away those late round picks like some other teams do to try to, you know, plug in spots here and there. This is a team that does their due diligence and, and ends up finding some gems by all, you know, by all accounts. Yeah. And during the telecast, Brandon Bean was interviewed in the booth and you mentioned Cody Ford earlier. He talked about how he just liked him on the right side. He was very vague about him beginning the season at tackle or guard. Nothing it's been said, like, maybe they just don't want to show their cards yet, or maybe they're not completely sure themselves right now. Do you think he's going to end up at guard in week one? I kind of do, just because I think they want their best five on the field, and having your best five on the field surely would mean having Inseki out there as well. Yeah, that that's what I anticipate happening. The only thing I can think of is they don't like their tackle. And this would be a terrible reason not to start Inseki, don't get me wrong. But maybe they're worried about their their swing tackle role and not having the depth there, and maybe that's the only reason you would start uh, Ford over him and then have him winning in the wings. But like I said, that would be a, a terrible reason not to put Inseki on the field. So that's what I anticipate. You know, Inseki is he's up there in age. He's not going to be here, you know, three four years down the road. Obviously, right. most likely at least. So, but you can at least plug him in there at tackle now, get forward some experience as a start in the NFL at guard. And then you can kick him over to right tackle, uh, you know, during this season, obviously, but more realistically, maybe have him fight for that starting job in 2020, where you can still get him that experience this year at guard. Another thing that being talked about when he was being interviewed was Duke Williams. And he had a quote, here's the quote. I like this a lot. He says, and he's speaking of Duke Williams here. He's earned everything he's got super competitive. And when the ball's in the air, I'll take him over anybody. Or he says, I'll take him over about anybody. He's going to find a way to come down with it. That's a pretty uh, it's a pretty resounding endorsement from your general manager for a guy who's fighting to make the team. Do you kind of, do you read into that comment? They kind of, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm knee-jerk reacting here, but that sounds to me like a guy that they want in this organization. Yeah, I, I want to say it's a knee-jerk reaction. I, I think, if anything, being in this entire uh, coaching staff realizes that Duke Williams gives you something that you don't have on this current roster, a uh, big receiver that can actually go up and get it. What Kelvin Benjamin was supposed to be for Buffalo. Uh, you, you know, you have your speed guys, you have John Brown, you have uh, Robert Foster, you have your slot guy in Cole Beasley and you have Zay Jones who can do both spots. 
Andre Roberts, you know, he's more of a returner than a wide receiver, although I, I will say he's performed very well in the wide receiver role all summer. He was brought in more so for his return skills. So you, you look at those top five, you don't really have a, a big go up and get it guy. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie's still in play to be on this 53-man roster, but he's far from that. He's a very small wide receiver. Again, another speedy guy. So if you do want to have someone that stands out and is a little bit different in terms of what they bring to the table, yeah, Duke Williams is that guy for you. And he's proven uh, with his patience there in the in training camp and early in the preseason that when, when called upon and given those opportunities, he's going to come down with the ball. One other thing that I, I found of interest that he was talking about was Josh Allen. And he kind of talked about, the, I think it was the indie game where he threw the well, it didn't count because of a penalty, but would have been a terrible interception. But generally speaking, he was talking about Josh Allen checking down more and that he liked it. Do you? I, I do, actually. I mean, I think you need to have a, a mix. You still obviously want him to throw the ball down the field to get those playmakers involved. But last year, I felt there were too many times where the, the maybe the Bills got a penalty on first down and inside the first and 10, it was first and 20. It felt like if the next play was a throw, Allen was trying to get all of those yards back just with one throw. Right. Rather than realizing, you know, I can go five yards and drop it off and see if my guy can get two, three yards after it and really kind of chip away at it. So I get why some people would be hesitant and say, listen, this isn't Josh Allen's skill set to just drop it off, drop it off. But there's a lot of quarterbacks in this league that are pretty successful at dropping it off, letting the wide receivers do the work. I'm not saying go away from, from his talent and his arm talent. But at the same time, you want to have a blind. You want them to be moving the ball, having the opposing defense getting tired over the course of the game. And then that's when you can really take those shots, those deep balls, when, when the cornerbacks are tired, when the defensive line is tired, and you just don't have to worry about the pressure. He can, he can hold the ball a little bit longer. That's when Brown, that's when Foster and those guys can really come into play. So you want there to be a mix. But, yeah, I, I really do like the fact that they're, they're trying to get him to really trust his receivers to – uh, move the ball once they have once they catch it, and you know trust them to get some yards after the catch too. Yeah, it's a very tricky balance with the young quarterback because on one hand, his skill set—he's a gambler. You know, he can throw the ball farther than anyone else. He can make plays, extend plays, as good as any quarterback in the NFL. Actually, if you're being honest here, when he's when he's good, when he's right, when he's making a big play, those are the good things about him. And you want to eliminate some of the big mistakes that he's prone to making, which is. By extending plays, you know, not living to fight another day, throwing the ball across his body, bad reads, things like that. But at the same, and you do want him to be more accurate, and that's why you go out and you get a guy like Cole Beasley, who I think is going to be a big part of this offense. We'll talk about him again in a few minutes as well. But at the same token, you don't want the guy to become too much of a checkdown quarterback. And you kind of alluded to the balance here because they didn't draft him to be Trent Edwards or Tyrod Taylor. You know what I'm saying? Oh, without a doubt. And you don't want him to get into that habit, like you said, of always dropping it down. But at the same time, you don't want him making those throws across the body and turning the ball over, putting making those risky throws because you have a defense that was number two in the league last year. You know, if you can protect the ball and be smart with the ball and put up enough points, uh, move up into the, the top half of the league, even in points scored you can get into the playoffs with that defense if they play like they did last season. So you don't want to limit him. You don't want to hold him back, so to speak. But at the same time, you want him to realize the bigger picture here is he doesn't have to carry this team to the playoffs. There's a great defense there. They have some guys that can 
uh, make plays with the ball in their hands. So trust those weapons, trust them to make the plays. It'll make you look better in the long run. It'll make those deep shots open up too, because if he is dropping it off to Beasley, dropping it off to Beasley, you know, some, some of those defenses are going to play up a little bit. And all of a sudden you have the middle of the field that's open, the intermediate area, and then you have the deep shots you can take too. So it goes hand in hand, but he just has to be smart about uh, not one falling into the habit of always of dropping out, which I don't think you're going to see, but two, I think that'll help him in terms of limiting those um, poor decisions, throwing across your body, trying to make those plays that, you know, he really shouldn't be trying to make. It's never going to happen in the NFL, throwing across your body on the run like that. These players, these cornerbacks are just simply too good to let that happen. Let's talk about the game a little bit here. Preseason finale, joking here, but the dream of 23-0 and is still alive. They come back, they're down, what, 23-6. to They scored 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter, win 27-23. Meaningless game, of course, yeah, sure, but still, it was an incredibly fun game to watch. In the fourth quarter, I'm sitting there watching it, getting prepared, taking some notes, getting ready to tape something with you. You know, in the third quarter, I'm like, ah, whatever, whatever. Fourth quarter, I'm kind of into it. The last five minutes, I'm on, the, I'm on the edge of my seat on the couch. Me and my wife were watching. I'm, I'm into it. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was, it was pretty exciting. I mean, here you go. They score three touchdowns in the last. Uh, it was a little less than the last four minutes of the game. So yeah. they kind of lulled you to sleep a little bit with the two field goals, and then they struggled to move the ball, especially in the first half. Uh, but then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get the first touchdown, then. Marcus Murphy with the huge play. And finally, the, the Bills forced them to punt with a little less than, than a, what, about a minute and a half to go. Jackson uses his legs, uses his arms. They get a penalty call in their favor. And all of a sudden, they're in business. And, and you are kind of watching with a little bit more interest. Uh, I kind of joked when there was about a, a minute and a half left saying, you know, get the champagne ready because the Bills have a chance to get that <laughs> undefeated preseason. And then sure enough, it happens. So do you think there's uh, a lot of sports journalists out there right now as we're taping this that are pretty pissed off because you had that typical fourth quarter, meaningless preseason game, run for the bus, just stay healthy. They're down 23-6. You have to write about the end of the game, though. 21 points in the last, like you said, handful of minutes. They come back, they win. There's drama, it's excitement. It kind of changes the whole tone of the story because you know how it goes, man. When you're running a story, especially in a preseason game like this where Typically, a team really doesn't care by the fourth quarter. They just want to get out of there. But the Bills clearly wanted to win this game. The sidelines, they were going nuts. These writers are out there changing their shit around right now. Yeah, and there was, uh, I think there was at least one publication that accidentally uh, published the story saying that the Bills fell to the Vikings <laughs> and, and lost there. So, that you know, and, and that happens. It's the preseason. You think it's going to go one way. You don't anticipate this team scoring 21 unanswered in less than four minutes, especially after the way they played early in the game. So you kind of file your story. It gets edited. It gets published. And by the time it's out there, all of a sudden the Bills have taken the lead and there's less than a minute to go, actually like 10 seconds to go, mind you. So, yeah, things like that happen. You do almost have to change uh, the entire uh, angle of the story, I sure. guess is the best way to put it, because you, you're talking about, oh, you know, the undefeated preseason didn't happen. They're still... Uh, still has never happened in franchise history. Came out, played poorly. Four first half first downs, two of them coming on the last drive with uh, Tyree Jackson running. So you, you do probably have enough to work with there going with that angle. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 and, and the whole story changes. 
I got a couple of notes here that I jotted throughout the game, kind of random, not in order of importance or anything like that, that I want to hit on with you. First of all, I like Stephen Hoshka drilled a 54 yard field goal in the first quarter. It was good for me to see that. I know he had a good week. He signed the extension. So if there was any talk or drama about him potentially being a surprise cut, that went out the window earlier this week. And then he comes out tonight and drills a 54 yarder. I, he struggled in the second half of the last season. It didn't look, it doesn't look fantastic. I mean, he hasn't looked bad this summer, but he doesn't look fantastic either. So for me to see him do that, that uh, that felt good. Yeah, and, and I totally get that. But he he was making the the vast majority of his kicks during training camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that in the preseason, I think he was about fifty percent going into tonight, and then all of a sudden he hits that long fifty-four yard kick, which makes a lot of fans feel pretty good about things. But late in the season last year, he did have a little bit of an injury after that Jets game, especially where uh, Henry Anderson hit him. Uh, so, you know, it's just one of those things where I think there's an injury that played a role in, in his play late in the season. But now he's healthy. He did miss a few in the preseason early on. But, you know, get, work out the Kings now. You actually saw him run on the field at one point when uh, – the defense was on the field and he was checking the wind and things like that during a commercial break that they showed uh, on the broadcast. So he, he, he's clearly still takes this job very seriously. He works very hard at his craft and, and he is still a very good kicker. I mean, we, we see every week, it seems like there's another team looking for a kicker because they're, they're so unreliable. Here's sure. a guy that I think he's like seventh in, in NFL history in terms of uh, field goal percentage and, and things like that. So the, the Bills have a pretty good player, pretty dependable guy right now. Uh, you, you look at the Vikings kicker. Uh, they, they had made a trade here, and I think it was a fifth-round pick to bring him in, and he misses a chip shot earlier in the game. And, you know, stuff like that would have, have probably fans and the coaching staff fuming a little bit where you made a trade for a guy thinking he was going to be your long-term play, player or kicker. Just because it's just such a wild card, it seems like. You know, you saw Tampa Bay a few years ago bring in one of the most highly decorated kickers, and he just kind of uh, didn't pan out for them and was gone before you knew it. So just looking at the the landscape of the entire league, I think the Bills realized not to read too much into the end of last season, not to read into those two preseason kicks. They saw what he was doing out at training camp, out on the field. They know that he could still make all the kicks. So it was definitely money well spent to have a guy that you can depend on for these next few seasons. If anyone out there is creative enough to make, and again, these are random notes here. If anyone out there is creative enough to make an all-time Buffalo Bills preseason team like in franchise history, first of all, credit me if you do that out there. You better damn well put Eddie Arbor on that list. This guy's just unbelievable in the preseason. He had 10 tackles tonight. I think seven or eight of them were in the first half too. He was on fire. I don't know if it's going to help him. It probably isn't going to at the end of the day. And again, we'll run down the roster projections at the end here. But man, this guy's just unbelievable in the preseason, isn't he? He really is. And yeah, he had like, I think it was nine first half tackles, seven solo, two tackles for loss. Uh, Because I had made a note of that myself. And he was all over the field. He was just beating his guy left and right. And I'm still not sure he, he's going to end up making this 53-man roster because he's better in run defense than he is a, as a uh, pass rusher. But maybe Mike Love going on the injured reserve uh, opens the door a little bit for him to be carried as the fifth defensive end. He's not going past Daryl Johnson, obviously not going past Shaq Lawson, Trent Murphy, uh, or, or Jerry Hughes for that matter. But if, if the Bills end up deciding to keep a fifth defensive end, 
maybe it works in his favor. He's a hard worker. The coaching staff loves him. They love what he, he brings uh, from that standpoint. I, I still think he's on the outside looking in, but boy, did he, he did play like a, like a man possessed tonight. Robert Foster lined up as a left gunner on a punt. He made a great play. It hit as soon as the guy caught the punt. If the Bills needed to see him as a special teamer in any capacity to make this roster, if by some chance they were looking for that, that definitely helped him. That was a nice moment for him, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely a, a great moment for him. He flew down the field. He, he just kind of uh, went around the, the blocker and was right there. The second the guy caught the ball, he made contact, took him down. Uh, he was dealing with a little bit of a nagging injury here, uh, according to Brendan Bean or Sean McDermott. I can't remember who said it this week. I believe it was actually McDermott. And, and you know, I, I think this coaching staff knows what he has in terms of his untapped potential, in terms of that talent. Um, he's not as polished as John Brown, so that's why he, he you know, he stumbled down the depth chart a little bit. They have similar skill sets. Foster's a little bit bigger in terms of overall size, but he's nowhere near as polished as a, of a player. So I really think that he still makes this roster. And he can learn a lot from John Brown this year and going forward. So that way in a few years, you know, when, when he's entering his third, fourth, fifth year, he can really kind of take off and be one of those top two guys. If he, if he grows at least, you know, if he stays status quo, that obviously won't happen, but I think he has the talent to, to grow, to learn from John Brown, the route running aspect of it. I think he was a little underrated in that regard actually last year. But I think he can still learn from John Brown and kind of make the most of the situation. Another guy I liked him a lot tonight was Ray Ray McLeod. Looked very fast out there. Looked like he was being shot out of a cannon. I never realized how how quick he could play. We'll talk about him more specifically in a few when it comes to what wide receivers they might keep. But I will drop this little hint here, this little spoiler. I'm not convinced that if the Bills keep six, okay, and let's just say that Duke Williams does make the team, and we'll give our opinion on that in a second, but let's just say that it's between Ray Ray and Isaiah McKenzie as that backup slot receiver there behind Beasley. I'm not so sure that Isaiah McKenzie is the lock that a lot of people think he is to make it over McLeod right now. And I think that's fair. And I think that even tonight when, when uh, Sean Mc, or I'm sorry, when Brendan Bean was in the booth, he openly praised Ray Ray McLeod and, and Duke Williams uh, both. And it's one of those things where, they might look at it and say, this is a guy that we drafted. We saw the improvement he made from year one to year two. And he really did it from route running to knowledge of the offense, everything else. It didn't necessarily transition over to these first few preseason games. But again, and that's only a, um, a minor picture of the overall story because he, he was only out there for so many series with the number ones or with right. Matt Barkley. And, and it limits your ability to make those plays. So, it's definitely possible, but Bean also said something about how they would really love to get some of these guys that don't make the initial 53 onto their practice squad. I wouldn't be shocked if Ray McLeod was one of those players that he's talking about because you see that talent, you see how much he improved in one year, you know for a fact that you can still groom him and get him even better so that way if there is an injury this year, he could be promoted and really step up for the team. So he's definitely one of those guys that I have firmly on the roster bubble. I still have him on the outside looking in, so to speak. But I wouldn't be shocked either if he ended up making this initial 53-man roster. One last guy that we got to talk about, obviously, is Tyree Jackson. I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion for a lot of people listening, especially 
on the heels so quickly after the game where he led the Bills to a fourth quarter comeback. I personally, I don't think he did anything tonight that either helped him or hurt his cause to be on the practice squad for the Bills to like him enough to keep him on the practice squad. I don't, first of all, I don't think they're going to have to worry about any other team claiming him. I think me and you, if one thing we'll agree on for sure, is he's not going to make the 53. He's going to get waived. And then it comes down to if another team claims him. I personally don't think the Bills have much to worry about. And in terms of keeping him on the practice squad, again, I know his numbers were good tonight, especially statistically. He was 23 of 33, 175 yards and a touchdown. And then he ran 78 yards on eight carries for another touchdown, fumbled right near the goal line. But they later, at first they gave Bolden the, the touchdown saying he recovered a fumble in the end zone. But later on, they gave credit to Jackson for the score. But regardless, here's my point. His stats were good. He made some nice plays. I'm just not convinced that the Bills, unless maybe they keep another guy on the practice squad and have two quarterbacks, I, I'm just not convinced that this guy is going to stick around on the practice squad because this is your scout quarterback. You got to get the defense ready. And I'm not sure if he's that guy right now. What do you think? Uh, I think that's fair. And yeah, I, I do agree. There's a 0% chance that he makes the initial 53-man roster. Right. Um, but it's going to it's going to be interesting because going in and I said, I don't think he's on the practice squad. Uh, Brendan Bean did was asked about it in the booth and he said something along the lines of, you know, you, you do want to have a quarterback on the practice squad in the event that your starting quarterback goes down. You can promote that guy from the practice squad to at least be the backup for a few weeks because right. they know their knowledge of the offense. But at the same time, when, when I watched him over the course of the preseason training camp, I, I never thought in my mind that this is a guy at some point this season that could be a backup, even in the event of an injury. Uh, he's not someone you'd want to promote and say, okay, well, if our backup goes down, he's coming in because, you know, these planned run plays aren't going to go off for those big chunks of yards against number one defenses necessarily. Uh, He made some good throws tonight, but he also stared down his receivers quite a bit on quite a few of them. Uh, So he is very raw, which is, again, another word that uh, being used to describe Jackson. There's talent there. There's absolutely talent. The arm talent, the size, the mobility. You can't teach those things. Uh, so if he lands on the practice squad, that's the reason why. But I just can't see if there's a if Josh Allen goes down with an injury, I still don't think that he would be someone that they would promote. I think he would sign a street free agent to be Matt Barkley's backup at that time. Then you have to worry about that backup getting up to speed on the offense and, and learning a lot of things. So maybe he sticks, but maybe there's a backup that gets uh, cut elsewhere in the league during these roster cuts that has that practice squad eligibility that is more refined as a pocket passer, uh, still can do some of those things that you look for out of a backup, but maybe a better fit for the bill. So I, I think it'll come down to what happens here over the weekend in terms of who is released elsewhere. I'm still giving him a shot to make the practice squad, but he still has a long ways to go. Uh, before I would even consider him as being someone that can make a 53-man roster. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. There's no chance he's making the 53. And if if Josh Allen went down, there's no way this guy's going to be even close to ready to be in a number two NFL quarterback, even if it's just for one week on the sideline because you never know what could happen. I agree with you. I think they'll take a long look at the waiver wire. And again, probably not popular. I'm sure he's got a lot of uh, goodwill going with fans right now after this game tonight, but I just don't see it. I really don't. One last thing about the game, too. Whether it's meaningless preseason or not, I always like to do this after a game. An MVP and an LVP. Based on tonight's game, who would be your MVP? Oh, boy. You know, Eddie Yarborough or Jaquan Johnson come to mind on the defense. They're both flying all over the field. 
Um, but I'm going to go with Marcus Murphy. Marcus Murphy looked good running the ball on this offense. He obviously had that big return uh, for the Bills that uh, really set them up or put them back into contention to get back in the game. So Marcus Murphy would be my MVP. I'll tell you mine, and you would only get this if you watch the Channel 7 pregame. Matt Fairborn from The Athletic. Did you see him on the sidelines with Joe B before the game? I, I did. That was a pretty Dude, he's sharp a pimp. Uh, he looked like a pimp, dress man. There. Yeah. <laughs> he was uh, looking sharp. Yeah, dude. Goddamn. That's smooth, man. All right. Now, seriously, my MVP would definitely be Eddie Yarbrough. I just think this guy's an absolute monster in the, in the preseason. What about on the other end? LVP. Ooh. Corey Borquez, uh, I'm going to have to I'm go with, with you. you know, I'm with you right there, no doubt about it. He has the big leg. I've seen it training camp. He's boomed some kicks. He's really, you know, put made some great kicks at, at times that the other media has noticed as well during training camp. But at the same time, it's just consistency. That's what that's what it comes down to in this league. He does not have that consistency. Uh, I really would be surprised if the Bills didn't add a punter from elsewhere. That's either whether it's cuts or maybe you now you get serious about uh, Ryan Allen. You know, Ryan Allen, you haven't heard much about him since the Patriots let him go. Maybe he's kind of waiting things out or his agent is too to see what opportunities present themselves sure. after the roster cuts. Because I'm, I'm sure that he has suitors. He, he Here's a guy that had uh, three punts inside the 10-yard line in the Super Bowl just a few months back. So it wasn't that long ago where he played a huge role in the Patriots Super Bowl win, believe it or not. So uh, I, I do think that uh, he would be in play or some of these other punchers around the league. I, I would be very surprised if Corey was on this uh, week one roster based on his issues with consistency. You know, my big takeaway from tonight's game is honestly, it's the fourth preseason game. I think 52 spots on this roster were pretty much decided before kickoff. I really do. I don't think anyone played their way on or played their way off except for him. I think for sure, I think he came in tonight as this was one audition, no competition for him tonight. He was competing against himself. And had he had a good game, maybe he sticks around at the beginning of the season, but he didn't. Those first two punts specifically, oh my God, they were awful. I think there's no question now. They're going to pick up somebody over the weekend. By early next week, I think the Bills are going to have another punter. I think he played his way off this roster tonight. The other guys, honestly, even the guys who had a good game, I think their fate was probably already decided. So... We'll see how it plays out, but yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. He punted his way off this roster tonight, I think. Yeah, and you know, the the only thing is he did have finally have one nice uh, kick late in the game, and of yeah. course, gets uh, there's a penalty for the illegal touching where the ball was pretty much dead and stopped. Right. So all, all Ryan Lewis really had to do is stand around it until uh, one of his other teammates could come down or until the rest blew the whistle on it. So, you know, but that's the thing. One good kick doesn't offset two or three poor kicks. And, and that, that's how he started out again. Just like last week, he started out with two poor kicks, rebounded three pretty solid ones. You just can't do that in the NFL, though, because those two poor kicks can end up setting up the opposing offense in really good field position. And three points, six points, 10 points, 14 points, whatever the other team gets off of that, even if it's not even points and they just flip the field from there on in terms of field position, little things like that add up and can really hurt a team. So, Buffalo is going to be looking to see what else is out there this weekend. Let's run through the roster and we'll do this quickly. Some positions we've already discussed, so we literally don't really need to talk about it all and we'll fly through the rest. Let's kind of put together a 53 man roster right now. And again, this isn't going to age for long because people are going to be hearing this either Friday morning, Friday afternoon. By the time they hear this cuts are going to be starting to trickle down already quarterback. We don't need to spend any time. You got Allen and Barkley 
They're going to keep two quarterbacks to start the season. If there's any drama, it's does Jackson end up on the practice squad. We've already discussed that. Running back, let's just assume they're going to keep five, and I'm counting DeMarco, the fullback, as one of the five running backs. Shady's not going anywhere. Gore's on. Singletary's on. It comes down to Yeldon or Perry. Perry's been banged up. Neither play tonight. I don't, I don't think Yeldon played tonight, did he? No, he, he did I, I not. see him. Well, anyway, that's what it's probably going to come down to. Marcus Murphy had a nice game, but I don't think he's going to make the roster. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree. But that last running spot, you got Yeldon, you got Perry, and you got Marcus Murphy. Who do you think has that edge? If they, assuming that they keep five, including DeMarco. Well, the fact that they didn't even dress Yeldon tonight tells me that I think that Yeldon has that spot. Uh, I think that he's been very impressive since his first preseason game. He fumbled on his second uh, carry in that first preseason game, but since then, been solid as a runner, but even obviously much better as a receiver. Uh, You know, they worked with him at training camp, getting him on special teams. He was working sometimes with the second unit for special teams, but they wanted to see what he could do there to to kind of solidify whether or not he was worth keeping on this roster. Uh, Younger than Marcus Murphy by a few years, you know, Murphy played very well tonight. He, I thought he actually had a really solid preseason. But when you when you really sit down and consider it all, Yeldon's much younger, or younger by a few years. He's under contract, pretty low amount of money this year and next year, uh, which isn't a bad thing, especially when you you realize that LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore probably will not be here next year. So you would at least have him on the roster with Singletary. And then you can kind of go from there in terms of adding more depth behind them. So, yeah, right now I'm giving that edge to Yeldon. Okay, wide receiver. And let's go on the working assumption that they keep six. Maybe it's only five. We'll see. Brown, Beasley, Roberts, complete lock. Foster, he's a lock too. Zay Jones should make it. So if it comes down to six and those are your first five, you got McKenzie, you got Ray Ray, and you got Duke Williams. If they keep six, who do you think gets that six spot? Assuming that you think Zay Jones is going to make the roster. Yeah, and I do think Zay will make the roster unless they, again, they get a deal they can't refuse or something along those lines. Um, it's tough because I, I still think that McKenzie and Duke Williams have a shot to both make the squad and they will end up on this roster. I'm going to go just with uh, Duke Williams based on the fact that he brings something different to the team. Where, you know, McKenzie, great gadget guy. He's played really well this preseason um, in almost every aspect that you could look for. Has a lot of versatility in terms of how you can use him on offense. You could even use him on special teams as a backup return man, although he, he has some fumble issues in his uh, career in that regard. But I would just lean, lean towards Duke a little bit right now just because he's so much different than the other wide receivers on this team. I think that they want to find a way to keep Ray Ray in his organization. So they'll have their, they'll be holding their breath if they wave him, hoping that he gets back to him. I'm telling you, I'm going to give you my bold prediction for the the entire roster right here. I think there's some fire to that Zay Jones smoke, man. I don't think he's going to be here much longer. I don't know that they're going to cut him tomorrow or Saturday morning. Maybe they find a trade partner. Maybe they're actively and aggressively seeking a trade. And that could have some, something to do with some of the smoke that we've been seeing lately. I think they like Ray Ray. I really do. I know they like Duke Williams and maybe they even like McKenzie too. I'm not sure what the plans would be, but that's my bold prediction, bro. Don't be stunned. You're here first. Zay Jones, not going to be around much longer, man. Anything is possible in the NFL. You know, he's definitely someone that uh, you can win without. Uh, 
he he's also someone though that they brought in with this regime. Obviously, I think a part of that though was also having his former uh, coach on the coaching staff that year that they drafted him and left shortly thereafter. But I wouldn't be shocked. I still think he has a good chance of contributing this year, playing a role. Uh, you know, he's not a me first player. He seems to fit the mold of what uh, McDermott looks for in a player. But, you know, anything can happen, and, and, and that definitely would not shock me if it did. Tight ends, Dawson Knox, Lee Smith, their locks. Uh, Sweeney probably over Kroom. Kroom was playing until, actually, he was playing until the end of the game, the very end of the game. I thought Croft was going to start the year for sure on, on the PUP list, but now Aaron Brandon being talked tonight, there's hopes that he might be on that 53. I'm pretty sure that if I heard that correctly. So if he's there, that would bring the tight ends from three to start the season to four. So maybe they got to keep someone less somewhere else. But I guess the only drama, and it's not even real drama at tight end, is if, it's, if they do keep Sweeney or Kroom, it's likely going to be Sweeney at this point. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. You know, Sweeney really stepped up when there was a lot of injuries on this, uh, on the tight end room or in the tight end room. He's a solid receiver. He's a very good tight end in terms of blocking. So with, without a doubt, if they keep four, it'll, it'll be Sweeney. I am anticipating him making the roster. Same with Knott, same with Lee Smith. But you're right. Uh, Bean tonight did say that they're meeting with the team doctors tomorrow. If they get some good news or if they get positive news, then the plan is to probably keep him on the 53-man roster. I don't think he'd be ready for week one, mind you, but he'd be ready before week six or or week seven or whenever it is, he would be activated if he would have been put on the pup list. So I can see why the Bills want to keep him, get him up to speed, get him on the field, because if you think he's a guy that uh, can be another asset or, or weapon for, for Josh Allen, you want him out there sooner rather than later. Offensive line, Dawkins, Spain, Morris, Ford, Niseki, Long, Feliciano, that's seven right there. Those guys are all safe for sure. They're going to keep at least eight. So Ryan Bates, Ike Bacher, they could be battling for one spot, maybe Connor McDermott. They could also add another guy in waivers if they keep eight or they keep nine. Not sure which way they're going to go with that. But seven of those are pretty much locked in. That Adrian Waddle injury, I feel like that kind of set everything in a little bit of a tailspin. I think he was pegged to be the swing tackle, assuming that Inseki would play one tackle and Ford would play guard. Obviously, that has changed a lot now. But that injury kind of made things free fall near the back end of that depth chart. So there might be one for sure and possibly two positions up here for grabs. Yeah, I agree with that, and I'm I'm a big fan of Ryan Bates since he's joined this team, seeing what he can do. So I would give him a spot on the maybe the last spot on the roster. I think he did surpass Wyatt Teller uh, very quickly, and that might have surprised this coaching staff and, and put the wheels in motion to trade Teller to get something while he still could. So yeah, I, I agree though with the others that you mentioned in terms of making this roster. But I'll even add Bates to that list as a guy that I think has a really good shot. All right, on the defensive line, they're going to keep four tackles, and that's all set. Oliver, Latourle, Harrison Phillips, Jordan Phillips, that'll be their four defensive tackles. Defensive end, they're going to keep four at least for sure. The Hughes, Murphy, Lawson, Daryl Johnson, those guys are in. Any potential drama between Johnson and Mike Love ended when Love went on the IR earlier this week. If they were to keep five defensive ends, then Eddie Yarbrough would would be the fifth guy. But I'm kind of getting the sense that because of other positions on this roster, they're only going to keep eight linemen. And then Yarbrough would become a, you know, he'd become a numbers cut at this point. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's going to be four defensive ends, four defensive tackles, and those top four of both positions are pretty cut and clear. Yeah. 
tittle for most of the linebackers, too. Milano, Edmonds, Alexander, their locks, Julian Stanford, uh, Jason Joseph, Corey Thompson. There's your six right there. You got Deion Lacey or Maurice Alexander possibly in the mix with Corey Thompson. Or if they keep seven, maybe they, they keep one of them. But out of that linebacker there in the back end, is there somebody that you could see sticking or going, I should say? You know, it's tough because I agree with the top six that you mentioned, actually. Um, but boy, I felt like Deion Lacey really flashed throughout the preseason on defense. And then he was such an uh, important special teams contributor last year. And, and that's a lot of snaps they're going to lose in that regard. But you can only keep your top six. And if you're going to keep your top six, I think that Stanford is your top backup at inside linebacker or middle linebacker there behind Edmonds. And then you like Corey Thompson for his versatility. He can play uh, a few different spots there. And then last but not least, you you drafted Joseph. So, and I don't think his injury tonight was serious by any means, but if something changes on that front, maybe it opens the door for a Dion Lacey uh, or someone else that's even there. But I, I like the six that you picked. I agree with those. All right, last position. We'll go defensive back. We'll lump them all into one. You got Trey White. Wallace, Kevin Johnson, Teron Johnson, Captain Munnerlin, Saran Neal. Then at safety, you got Poyer Hyde, Kirk Coleman, Jaquan Johnson. If you keep 10, that's probably your 10. You got Dean Marlowe and Lafayette Pitts in the mix. Lafayette Pitts had an interception tonight, but probably doesn't make the roster. Do you, do you think that pretty much they're going with 10? And yeah, the- and those that's a solid list you put together. Maybe Pitts surprises and... and uh Late Frogs, Captain Munnerlin. I know Munnerlin knows the system. He's someone that Sean McDermott likes. I'm sure that when they signed him, they told him that he'd have a chance to make this 53-man roster. Um, but they, they do have some depth there. You know, Saran Neal can play the big nickel role. You obviously have Taryn Johnson in the slot already. Uh, and then I guess you'd also have to look at the special teams aspect of it. And again, that's another area where Pitts can kind of stand out. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see it unfold the way that you mentioned it. All right. In special teams, there's not really anything to discuss. Reed Ferguson staying, Hoshka staying, and we both agree that they're going to have a new punter soon. So you look at this roster, there's not really, there's nothing that's going to, people are going to hear in the next 24 hours. I think that's going to shock you at all. I can't think of anything unless Zay Jones gets cut, which I'm, man, I don't know. I, I just, I just get this feeling in my gut. You know what? I also had that feeling in my gut for over a year that LaShawn McCoy was going to get traded, and that still never happened. But let's just assume Zay Jones is staying. There's no real, like, shocking surprise cut candidate out there, is there? No, there's not, but uh, there's going to be tough cuts just because this team is a lot deeper than it's been in the last few years. They do have some players that are going to get picked up elsewhere around the league. Uh, which kind of speaks to Buffalo's talent and depth and the way that they've really uh, coached up some players or had an eye out or eye, you know, talent for some free agents that maybe other teams didn't necessarily see as being uh, quality NFL players. So they, they've done a really good job building up this, this entire 90 man roster, which is now down to 87, but uh, there's going to be a lot more players. I think this year that are, Bills, former Bills players that land elsewhere in this league because they have the talent to stick around in this league. It's just that Buffalo is too talented, too deep, or they need to keep someone at a different spot for injury reasons. All right, last couple things here, then I'll let you go. 
ESPN had all their beat writers for each of the 32 teams around the league pick a potential breakout candidate. Marcel Louis Jacques picked Cole Beasley. He wrote, Don't be surprised if he beats the 75 receptions, 833 yards, five touchdowns stat line he put up in 2016. I could get behind that. What do you think? Who would be your biggest breakout candidate? I'm not trying to bite off Marcel, but that probably would be my guy too. Based on what I saw in the preseason, I like the chemistry him and Josh had. I think he could have a huge year. Yeah, and I've said the same thing in a few articles saying I wouldn't be shocked if Beasley ended up surpassing all of those stats, especially the reception total. I think he's going to have well over 100 targets this year uh, being at safety valve. You know, that doesn't always mean a lot of yards in the slot position because you're picking up five or six at a time, getting hit pretty much right away. Uh, But I can see him surpassing his career best totals. I think that's a, a fair bet. Um, and if you want to go, you know, Josh Allen maybe is, is someone that would be a breakout candidate just because he, he, he might end up throwing, I think he's going to end up throwing for more than 3000 yards this year, more than 32. If you can get up into that 35, 3600 yard area, all of a sudden you're really kind of saying, okay, this is a guy that's made some significant strides, uh, from year one to year two. He's obviously still a dynamic runner, hopefully not running as much. Uh, with all this new talent around him. And if he does, hopefully getting out of bounds, avoiding that contact. So if I had to pick someone different from the team, obviously I think it would be Josh Allen because I think you're going to see him improve his completion percentage, see a significant uptick in terms of his yards thrown, touchdowns. And if you can bring down that interception total too, that can really go a long way for him. So a lot has changed since last year with the Bills. Obviously the biggest thing, Josh Allen is not a rookie anymore. He's had a full year in the system. So he's going into his second year. They've added a lot of talent. Brown and Beasley at receiver. The offensive line, even at worst, is going to be an upgrade over last year. The defense is going to be solid. Yet, Vegas only has the win-loss total for the Bills this year at six and a half. They won six games last year. I think they're clearly more talented than they were a year ago. A lot has changed with this team, like I said. So based on that, are you a little bit surprised that the Bills are only six and a half or they're over-under for win total for this year? Or is that kind of like... Where do you think they deserve to be right now? No, I was I was surprised when that came out a few months ago, to be quite honest with you. Like you said, they won six games last year with a lot less talent. Right. I, I think there's a lot more winnable games this year based on their schedule. You know, uh, Miami seems to be in a rebuild. And, and I was reading something tonight about how players are ready to revolt if they, if they even think about trading Laramie Tunsil. Uh, so there seems to be some drama there. Uh, you know, the, the Jets, I think, are going to be improved in the division, but I still think that's a series you can split. So worst case scenario, there's three wins possibly right there for Buffalo. You, you look at some of their other games, I think that the Giants game is a winnable game, the Cincinnati game, and these are early season games, mind you. Um, so you have a few early season games where they can really get the ball rolling. And even in the late end of the year where they have a, a little bit of a tough stretch there, you know, I'm not saying they're going to beat Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's not the same team that they were two, three years ago where you really look at them and say, you know, this is a team that can legitimately make the Super Bowl. Uh, I think that uh, Juju Smith-Schuster's going to have, uh, still have a good season, a very productive season, but he's going to find it a little bit harder to get open maybe because defenses are going to be kind of keying in on him without Antonio Brown there. So, there's little things like that. They obviously didn't uh, have Bell last year, and Connor played very well. But the same thing. Overall, talent level's gone down there a little bit. You still don't know what the Ravens are going to be. 
you know, I think that Lamar Jackson's made some really nice plays this preseason. I think he's looked good at times. I think I've uh, all the good things I've read about him from from the different uh, beat reporters there in Baltimore. They could be a very good team, but you you never know that even that late in the season, if a, if a guy like that's going to be healthy because he is someone that even though he says he's not going to run as much this year, his athleticism it's going to be hard to keep him from running at times. So there's always all I'm trying to say is there's always those few games where you're going to go up against a team where they're going to miss this, be missing a significant player on offense or defense. And all of a sudden that game is going to be winnable. I think Zeke Elliott will obviously be back by uh, November, but you know, the, the, that's a team right there with it. I think if there's one player missing on offense, that's been out with an injury, that's a winnable game on Thanksgiving day. So I do see them going over that 6.5 wins. I'm a little surprised it really hasn't moved up much from that point on. Well, with everything you said, I hope if you're wrong about one thing, I hope it's Juju Schuster. I got stock on that dude in literally every single fantasy football league that I've been. So I hope you're wrong about him. Last thing here, all right? I'm not going to steal from WGR. We're we're not Howard picks the bills. We're not going to do Ryan picks the bills. Not going to go through the schedule. But based on the totality of the schedule, how you feel about this team right now, and now it is, it's not too early now because the games are going to count in, what, nine days from now. Give me a prediction. At the end of the season, what's going to be the Buffalo Bills record? I'm going to go with before, before you tell me, I'm going to say this too. I'm going to preface this so people can't talk shit to you later on. You reserve the right to change your mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if there's an injury, <laughs> if there's something that I see in these first three weeks where I think there's some really winnable games, I might change my mind. But uh, I'm going to stick with nine and seven. I think this is a team that's going to end up with more wins and losses. I think they're going to be. Uh, in the wild card hunt throughout the year. And I think they can position themselves to be in the wild card hunt. You, you know, when I look at the AFC a few weeks ago, I thought it's going to be really tough to get a wild card spot that the AFC West is loaded. Uh, obviously, you have two teams that you're expecting big things out of with the Chiefs and with the Chargers. But there's some people that have high expectations for even the Broncos and even the Raiders. You looked at the South and, and, you know, when Andrew Luck was still in this league before he retired, you looked at that as a team that was going to be a playoff team. Jacksonville improved. Houston, I know they still have some issues on that offensive line, but there's still some talent there as well, even after Lamar Miller goes down with the ACL. So, you know, there's a lot of talent still in the AFC. Uh, Obviously, the North, too, with the Browns and with the Steelers and with the Ravens, but I do think the Bills can really legitimately compete for a wild card spot this year. And at the end of the year, they're going to be maybe in one of those two spots with that nine and seven record. All right, good stuff. Everyone give Ryan a follow on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. Of course, check out New York Up NYUp.com for all Ryan's work as well as Matt Perino's Bills coverage as well. That's excellent too. Thanks, my man. I'm sure we're gonna chat a lot during the season. Appreciate having you on as always. Hey, anytime. <laughs> Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattCundellVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, up next on the podcast, we got a movie review of Angel Has Fallen, the third film in the Has Fallen trilogy, starring Gerard Butler, Morgan Freeman, 
Jada Pickett-Smith, Nick Nolte, several others. This review, which is a semi-recurring segment on this podcast, of course, it comes from friend of the show and owner of one of the very best YouTube pages you're going to find anywhere, Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Sean was my guest on this podcast a handful of months ago, and we kind of struck up a little gentleman's agreement where he'd allow me to play audio content from some of his reviews on this podcast. And in exchange, I would simply plug his YouTube channel. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you. For me, that was probably the easiest deal I've ever struck since launching this podcast well over a year ago now. I probably would be plugging it regardless. Sean Chandler talks about page on YouTube. By the way, I'll also put a link to that page in the show notes here. He already has over 135,000 subscribers and it's growing every day. You know what? I feel like I say that every time I lead into one of his reviews, but I do because it's true. Dude just bangs out amazing content almost daily from the world of movie and TV entertainment, by the way, not just movies, whether it's movie reviews, movie trailer reactions, power ranking movie or TV franchises, just so much more stuff, man. Again, it's such an easy sell. Next time you're browsing the interweb, just go on YouTube, type in Sean Chandler talks about Hit that subscribe button underneath and that little bell notification thing right next to it. Simple as that. That's all I got to do. All right. Having said all that, as far as the movie goes, Angel is Falling, the premise reads, Secret Service agent Mike Banning finds himself, which by the way is played by Gerard Butler. Mike Banning finds himself framed on an assassination attempt of President Alan Trumbull, pursued by his own agency and the FBI, Banning turns to unlikely allies in a race against time to clear his name and uncover the real terrorist threat. Well, I'll tell you what, sounds interesting, and the movie certainly has an all-star cast, but like we know all the time, all-star cast doesn't mean all-star quality movie. Is this an all-star quality movie? Well, let's find out. The third film in the Has Fallen trilogy has fallen into theaters, or will fall into theaters depending on when you're watching this. So let's talk about it. When Mike Bannon is framed for attempting to assassinate the president, he finds himself on the run from authorities and the real threat. As a fan of throwback rated R action films as well as Gerard Butler action thrillers, I was pretty excited for this one. With that said, let's get started talking about the good. As this is an action movie, let's start things off talking about the action. With this movie inside of this trilogy, it's probably the biggest film in the sense that it covers the most time, goes to the most places, and has kind of the biggest conspiracy inside of it. And because of that, there's a good bit of variety inside of what the action is. If you look at Olympus Has Fallen, it's a lot of Gerard Butler walking out of the White House with a gun and a knife and killing people. This movie has chases, it has explosions, it has drones. It does a bunch of different things, all leading up to a big slam-bang finale that very much is in the vein of Olympus Has Fallen. And then we gotta talk about our star, Gerard Butler. These days, we don't have a lot of true action stars anymore because we don't have a lot of true action movies anymore. Gerard Butler's one of the few that consistently puts out action thrillers. And of course, here he is in fine form. It's always just fun to see him drop his one-liners as he takes out bad guys, whether he's sneaking around, whether he's just going all out with a machine gun. I just love to see that kind of thing. And I think he's very good at doing that sort of thing. But his character inside of this movie, it goes much deeper into him, Mike Bannon, the person than it did in the previous two films. We look at his family, his family's history, his relationship to some of the people around him. We dive into kind of his career.
career, his aspirations, what makes him tick a little bit, what does he actually want in life and what is best for him. He's presented more as someone that has character flaws as well as all of these adventures are taking a toll on him. And we didn't really see that in the previous films. This one is very much about the character of Mike and where he's going and what has happened to him. And I thought that was a nice addition. Another standout here is Nick Nolte. He's dropped into the film as Mike Banning's father, this kind of crazy outdoor woodsman. And the character has a good bit more depth to him than some of the other kind of crazy people like this that sometimes are placed in films like this as he's used to kind of help us understand where Mike's coming from as well as give that relational family arc for the character. Beyond that, of course, he's He's just fantastic as an actor, so he has emotional moments, but he's also really funny at times, the way his character's used, some of the things that he says, the way that Gerard Butler responds back to him. There's a great dynamic inside of it, and he, he plays out throughout the entire second half of the film and is used in many different ways. It also has a good bit of humor sprinkled throughout the film, especially the second half. Not that it's like a Marvel movie with everybody quipping or anything like that, but just kind of the way the characters interact with certain scenarios, their reactions to the absurdity, some of the lines, especially as I mentioned before with the Nick Nolte character, you get some good kind of humor breaking the tension inside of the action sequences that I thought fit nicely inside of the film. And finally, as a fan of the action genre, this movie passes the red box test for me. From time to time, I'll just go to Redbox and I'll rent some random direct-to-video action movie. Some of them are dreadful, barely watchable, and other ones I think are actually pretty good. The red box test simply means that if I rented this from Redbox not knowing what it was, I would be satisfied and happy that it delivered the action, the thrills that I wanted. With that said, let's move on to the mixed aspects of the film. And the big one here is that they changed up the formula for the franchise. So the first two films had kind of the same plot. Mike Banning must rescue and save the president and keep him alive. And that led to kind of a certain pacing of the films, a certain urgency, momentum moving forward. You're at the edge of your seat. Will he keep him alive till the credits roll? This movie changes up the whole formula. That's not what this movie is about. That's not what this movie is like. And so in certain ways, it doesn't feel like a rehash of the previous two movies. Some people felt that London Has Fallen was just too similar. They were just rehashing it, but making it bigger. This one doesn't feel like that. On the flip side, it can feel very different from the other two films because of that. Same characters, different scenarios. It doesn't quite have that urgency and the momentum of being on the run with the president or rushing to save the president. And so you lose a little bit, you gain a little bit. That's why I kind of put this one in the mix. Uh, it has some positives and negatives to the fact that they switched up the formula. The other thing to know about this film kind of in the mixed category is this is more of a thriller than an action film compared to the previous two films. The previous two films were very much from beginning to end. Mike Bannon is shooting people, knifing people and punching people in the face. This one has a lot more of him trying to escape himself, so it's more a thriller-based than all-out action movie. It has the slam-bang finale, it definitely has some shootouts in the middle of the film and a lot of explosions in the film, but it's not as much of, from beginning to end, Mike with a machine gun and a knife. That's not what this movie is as much. You need to go into the film with proper expectations. With that said, let's move into the negative. The big problem here is that the story is so familiar and predictable. If you want to know exactly what Angel Has Fallen is, you take The Fugitive plus Shooter plus 24 plus Gerard Butler, and that equals Angel Has Fallen. Now, full transparency, on paper, that sounds fantastic to me. I love all of those things. Combining them together into one package, 
That's right up my alley. But everything in this film feels like a B-grade version of something better. Also, it's painfully predictable. And that wouldn't bother me too much, except the movie plays the twists and the reveals as if they're actually surprising. And the two big twist reveals in this film could not be more obvious. I mean, as soon as two of the characters in this movie were introduced, like their introductory scene, I went, okay, I know exactly where this movie is going. I know exactly what's happening here. And I was right. And I'm actually not very good at predicting the plots of movies. This one was just so predictable. The movie's also tonally wildly inconsistent. One scene will be dead serious, the next will be kind of quippy action movie, and then we have family drama. And then inside the epilogue, there's a scene that's almost all out cornball humor inside of it. And they're all side by side and they don't fit together quite right. There's a number of scenes inside this film that are way too serious for how silly the premise of this film actually is. The audience I saw it with was laughing a whole lot. They were kind of in a weird mood. And so at times they were laughing because there were jokes happening, but other times it felt like they were laughing because the movie was playing some ridiculous scenarios with a totally straight face and melodramatic music playing on top of it. And finally, this is a movie only designed for its target audience. If you're someone that loves action thrillers, you'll probably get what you want out of this movie. If you're someone that is kind of just burned out on Gerard Butler action thrillers, you're tired of the tropes, you want something new, that's not what this is. As a fan of action movies, this provided just enough action thrills and escapism to keep me satisfied. But if you're pickier with your action thrillers, just rent The Fugitive or Shooter and stay home. It's a B minus overall. It's a 6.5 out of 10 on the entertainment scale. And if you're interested, you could probably just rent this one from Redbox. And if you do, you'll probably have a good time with it. Thank you so much for watching and keep talking movies too much. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Big thank you again to Ryan Talbot from NewYorkUp.com. Always love having him on the podcast, talking Buffalo Bills. Good stuff there. Thanks as well to Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Another movie review. He does such an excellent job with those. Again, if you haven't done so already, go on YouTube and type in Sean Chandler Talks About. You'll be blown away by the daily content that he has over there. Coming up on this podcast next Tuesday, I'm going to have brand new WIBB TV Channel 4 in Buffalo sports digital reporter, Mary Margaret Johnson. She's going to be my guest. I'm kind of looking forward to that, getting an opportunity to uh, get to know her a little bit. In the meantime, guys, if you haven't done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast right now. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your laptop, computer, whatever it is that you use, literally within minutes of being released i have a new show every tuesday and friday that's always the benefit of being a subscriber you'll get the new episodes before anyone else does don't forget to rate and review the show it only takes a couple seconds i say it every week really helps me grow this podcast tremendously and of course you can catch us on apple Podcasts, google play iHeartRadio, radio stitcher spotify pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found we're on all platforms at this point last but not least don't forget, follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I constantly got things going on in my Twitter, podcast polls, uh, podcast news, updates, feature guests, all kinds of information on there. So again, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I say it all the time. I mean it all the time. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you that listen to this podcast. It means the world to me. 
when you take, whether it's a couple minutes, an hour, a couple hours a week to listen to my podcast, it, it means everything to me. It really does. So have a good weekend. Have a safe weekend, a holiday weekend, nice three-day weekend. Enjoy it. Most of you guys are going to have three days off, and we'll be back again with a new show next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity-flip. Bye.